The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. And as always, joined by Dan Trelaro. Danny, of course, with the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey, better known to you as 1-800-GAMBLER. Dan, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Craig. Enjoying the warm weather. Yeah, spring is finally here. It certainly feels that way, so I'm going to enjoy that right there with you. You know, normally we bring on a fellow compulsive gambler to share their story. And while I think that's uh, served us well and served the community well, there's been a couple stories in the news I wanted to discuss with you because I find them to be fascinating. From a local standpoint, you know, the big news this past week was that the state of New York has announced that it approved a budget for next year, 2022, that would allow for legal online wagering. Now, as I understand it, the way New York wants to do it is a lot different than the way New Jersey's doing it. Many other states are doing it in that Governor Cuomo wants to make it part of the New York lottery and have very limited number of uh, potential operators in the state of New York. Regardless of that, no matter how you cut it, legalized wagering is coming to New York in less than 12 months. And, you know, this is an instance when we take a look at this where, you know, states have the right. You know, that was the repeal of PASPA and... In 2018, when sports betting was legalized in New Jersey, it also gave the right to other states to legalize it how they see fit. Some have it under the lottery, some don't. So state by state, the rules differ. Regardless of what the rules are, though, we know that a couple things we can expect. People are going to participate. A large number of people will participate. And a certain percentage will develop problems. So New York also has to be ready for more people calling, more people experiencing gambling-related harm. Yeah, well, the, 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 the reality is that, and what a lot of people don't understand about New York, is that sports betting is already legal in New York, uh, technically, in that you're allowed to do it at four different casinos, all of which are upstate New York, and I believe all of them are on uh, Native American land. So this is different because this will now allow you to wager on sports with your phone, with your computer, and why that's important is this. of every wager made in New Jersey is made online. And that means, based on the New Jersey stats and facts we have, that you're going to be talking about millions and millions of people that are going to start wagering who may have never wagered before, legally at least, on sporting events. And that's correct. And one of the items of the bill that I was in reading through this, uh, like you were, they do uh, set aside around $6 million per year for gambling addiction services and also $5 million for youth sports in underserved areas across the state. That $6 million annually for gambling addiction services will become instrumental. To your point, when you have more people gambling on their mobile device, their smartphone, their tablets, in the comforts of their home or wherever they are, it, it, it's easy access, it's repetitious, it's speed, And we know a percentage of people will start to develop gambling-related harms. And in New Jersey, a study done by Rutgers in 2000, around 2018, showed that New Jersey has three times the national rate of disordered gambling. So New York has to be prepared and ready. Yeah, and I don't want to be, you know, know, the sky is falling here because we recognize it's only about 10% of people that start wagering 
on a regular basis happen to uh, become compulsive about it or addicted to the notion of it. But, you know, New York State, it's the most populous state there is. So you're talking about, you know, millions of people legitimately who are now going to start wagering at first recreationally, responsibly. But if you just take the basic numbers out of it, you're talking seven figures of people that potentially are going to have a problem. And every time I read the story of another state legalizing it, and I'm always in favor of it, I'm a proponent of legalized wagering, I never see the companion story of we're also going to set aside X, Y, and Z to help those that do develop a problem. And, and that's, that has to be a part of the conversation, and that's where we, we have the opportunity to work with other states, and we work closely with New York, so we learn from each other. As gambling expands across the country, we try to determine what are the best practices, what should be included in pending legislation, in bills, and we work with states to say, make sure you're setting aside funds and resources for both the problem gambler and the loved ones, because not only do we not often hear about um, resources for the problem gambler, the loved ones are just as impacted as you and I both know and have lived through. We, recovery is a community-based event, right? Recovery, you need relationships. You need those loved ones in your life. So we need to be providing resources and services for them as well. You, you know, Craig, I'm thinking about 800 Gambler Helpline. We have so many people that call us that live in New York now. They'll come over to New Jersey and gamble. They'll walk across the GW and then they walk back. They take a, a path train across to New Jersey and go back. So it'll be interesting to see how the numbers kind of shake out in the coming months and years uh, in terms of revenue and handle. Yeah, well, it's going to change New Jersey. It's going to hurt Jersey because the yeah. reports are about 20% of all the uh, New Jersey sports wagering comes from people that live in New York City. Like, you know, I've got friends in the five boroughs. I've told the story before. When uh, New Jersey first legalized it, a buddy of mine would get on a subway in Harlem Go downtown, get off the subway, get on the PATH train, take the PATH train to Hoboken, get out at Hoboken, make his wagers, get back on the PATH train, go back into the city, take a subway back up to Harlem. And he would do that every Sunday, you know, or every Saturday for college football. He's not going to have to do that anymore. And so it's going to hurt Jersey from a revenue standpoint. But it's going to bring millions of more gamblers into the scene. So groups like yourselves and your counterpart in New York are now going to be overwhelmed with people who start developing a problem. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why, you know, we're, our staffing changes. We're actually in the process right now of, of increasing our staffing just from the volume that we've seen since sports betting was legalized in June of 2018. And it continues to ramp up month over month. I know New York is also taking a look at how they do operations and trying to streamline services. So there's a lot. These conversations are being had amongst the councils that provide these types of services. You know, I was, I was reminded of a guy I just spoke with about a week and a half ago. He lived in New York, and he worked for a company that had multiple locations in New York and New Jersey. He ended up requesting to be transferred to the New Jersey office so he could gamble during the day. Wow. And his wife couldn't figure it out. And then that's why he's calling 800 Gambler for some help because – it kind of came to the forefront that he was gambling, and the whole reason he wanted that office in New Jersey is so he could do it legally. You know, one of the, to me, one of the easiest ways to try to curb it or to, or to prevent people or help people, protect people from themselves, and we talk about that a lot, you know, I needed to be protected from myself. And I think that's how, you know, when I talk to, 
gambling addicts that reach out to me and 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 try to counsel them and obviously connect them to you, Dan. You know, it's we gotta be we gotta you know someone's gotta stand in the way and help us out. Like we need a buffer. We need a good friend to walk us away from the table sometimes. So to me, one of the easiest ways I think in helping people, you know, not go down the road that we went down. When you first sign up, how hard would it be to make all the new customers that sign up for these sites to put a number on there which caps how much they're allowed to wager per game and how much money they're allowed to have in action at any time? So that when a you know, 22-year-old kid who's making 50 grand a year decides to sign up, he can say at the day he signs up, my max bet's 100 bucks. The most I'm ever allowed to have in action at one point is $500. And he can't change that for 12 months, something along those lines, so that there are limits that are put in in advance that would not allow a new gambler to get himself in the type of trouble we've all been in. And, and you know, that's an interesting concept because we do talk about responsible gambling, right? Because we recognize that a majority of Americans can, can gamble socially, recreationally, you know, for myself, for yourself, for many of our listeners, for many people around the country, they can't, right? There's a small percentage, but there's a lot of people listening that can't understand how someone can gamble responsibly. Part of the responsible gambling provisions are deposit limits, time limits, right? Time out. You know, so you have these limits that are predetermined and set. It's interesting you mentioned that because if you set a limit and then a person wants to increase their limit after an amount of time, why would you also not be able to do a review of that player's credit, their bank statements? Uh, you know, TransUnion, there was an article that came out yesterday that TransUnion is entering the U.S. market for gaming services to help operators assess the risk of players, their creditworthiness, if you will. Yeah. And it's, it speaks to the point that you've brought up in the past. How, how is someone ever approved for a marker in the six figures when they're making 30000 a year or forty, you know, whatever the ma- amount is? It's insane. Yeah, listen, I, I've, I, I've told this story before, so I don't mind saying it again. And I take full responsibility. No one put me in the position I, that I wound up in other than myself. That being said, I was given access to markers that my credit did not justify. Right. And while it's my responsibility... And I was making a very nice living, obviously. When you extend to me $500,000 in credit and I have thirty-five grand in the bank, hell, if I get hundred grand in the bank and yep. you're allowing me to come to your, your place of business and you're going to give me a half million or $600,000 line of credit or you know, one casino once gave me a million-dollar marker. I had another casino that once said, just to get me to walk in the door – because they recognized the type of action I had on the table, mm-hmm. they allowed me to play five hands at a at one time twenty five thousand dollars a hand. Wow! Now my credit didn't warrant that. My play didn't warrant that. And obviously, because I became a compulsive gambler, you bet your ass I played five hands at twenty five grand a hand. Yep. And yep. I, you know, and I'll never forget it because I lost all five hands. I'll never forget, and I don't remember specifically a lot of the losses or even a lot of the specific hands I won. But I will never forget being at that casino in Atlantic City and having twenty-five grand per hand, five hands on the table. Never forget it. 
And and for people who don't struggle with gambling addiction, they're, they'll sit there, scratch their head saying, how do you have, how can you stomach that much risk to see that much money on a table for, for a, a large percentage of Americans? They'd say, oh my gosh. But for someone who struggles with gambling addiction, it is the action. It's the tolerance. You didn't start that way. Your first day of gambling, you, you didn't start that way. That's the progressive nature of addiction. It just continues to build and you need to continue to find this high that you can only achieve by going bigger, faster, longer, bigger dollar amounts, whatever it is. So that there is a sense of shared responsibility because to your point, you chose to make those bets. You had an addiction to gambling, but there were certain elements that, that you take ownership for, obviously, sure. just like I did when I was gambling. That was my decision a lot of the times. And it's also then the casino on the Internet gambling side, to your point, let's set some of these provisions for our younger folks. Because, Craig, the phone calls to our helpline from the number of people aged 21 to 25 with sports betting has been through the roof. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. And it's funny, as I'm thinking while you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking back to that day. You know, I lost. That's $125,000 that's on the table. Hundred and twenty-five grand that's on the table. And, you know, it was a quote-unquote bad beat. You know, I had all the cards lined up great. I think my worst hand was an 18. You know, the dealer pulls a 5 and, you know, gets a 21, and I lose all the money on the table. And I didn't have that much money in my bank account, you know. Yeah. And again, I'm not blaming the casino. It's my fault. But the casino, had they done any basic credit check, would have recognized you can't let this guy come in and put a hundred and a quarter on the table at a single time. You know, because how's he ever going to pay us back in 45 days? So, right. I'll tell exactly. you, I'm going to tell you another story that just hit the news in the last couple of days like that, which I think uh, many people listening are going to be amazed by. I will continue on right here this Saturday morning. Hello, my name is Craig. Dan Trelaro counts on compulsive gambling and us right here on WFAN. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you this morning as we do every Saturday morning from 9.30 to 10. Dan Trelaro from the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey joins us as well to reach out to Dan and his crew. It's, of course, 1-800-GAMBLER. So I was reading a story, Dan, that I thought people would uh, find interesting just to show you the depths that compulsive gamblers go and how sometimes the people that are financially hurt by the actions of the gambler have very little to no recourse. So this is actually in Australia. There's a young woman, or not young woman, I should say, a middle-aged woman whose name is Vicky Clerk. Vicky Clerk is a compulsive gambler. She worked for a small family business and had been there for a very long time, so the family trusted her. Why wouldn't they? She'd been there with them for a very long time. She was stealing their money without them knowing about it because she was a compulsive gambler, and she would go to a local casino... And over the course of time, she wound up stealing and losing $3.7 million from this small business and literally ruined the lives of this family that treated her like family. So this small family business decided to sue the casino. And they sued the casino because in their minds based on the amount of money that she made and the amount of money that she was wagering, the casino had to know that the money wasn't hers 
and they should have questioned where she got the money from to lose nearly $4 million. It took three years for the suit to be heard. And at the age of 75, the gentleman that owned this family business, rather than retire and enjoy the later years of his life, has had to uh, stay at the company and is putting in like 50, 60 hours a week to make sure the company stays afloat now that all this money was stolen. A, and I know it's a different country and the laws and the rules are different, but I do believe the end result would be the same. The woman, who's 64 years old, was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. The court also said that the company had no recourse whatsoever to get any of the money back from the casino. And the suit was against the casino because they felt the casino had to know that she was gambling beyond her means. Right. So here's a woman who's a desperate and compulsive gambler who steals money from people that trust her and love her to uh, pay for her and continue her habit. And when it's all said and done, she goes to prison, the family's out all the money, and the only people that win in this particular case are the casino operators. Wow. And the initial gut reaction to that is, you know, what the hell is going on along the way where they know this woman's coming, they know who she is. I'm sure she's getting treated very, very well when she's spending that much money and time at the casino. You know, what what, what were the protocols? You know, what's going on? And I think those stories kind of highlight the, the, the negative perception that a lot of people have at times. You know, not all casino operators are the same. A lot of them do a good job of trying to promote responsible gambling, trying to talk about problem gambling, uh, helping their patrons. But then you're going to get a, always in any industry, uh, a percentage of the industry where, hey, let's just get this money in and, and, and just keep it flowing. And that's a, that's a tough story to hear. I did not hear that one. And I'm just, I'm just, wow. So, and here is the argument. The argument was, why should the casinos be allowed to profit off of this woman's crime? Like the casino, you know, it's like all casinos, other than ones owned by Trump, obviously, you know, do very well. So once it became clear that she was guilty of this crime, you know, the argument was the casino should do the right thing. And while the casino shouldn't lose money, it should at least return the money that they now know factually was gotten through criminal means. Yeah, it was, it was gained through criminal means. I know in the United States, uh, when you're, theft of income if you steal money to further in the furtherance of any criminal activity and it's determined that that's where the money came from you're supposed to actually report that on your tax return so when you report your wages your earnings if you have other income technically speaking you're supposed to report theft she would in the united states she would have had to put down 3.7 million dollars of income if she took it in one year and the source of income would have been theft or embezzlement now no one in their right mind is going to put that on their tax return right because that will trigger an audit so, you know, it, it just kind of highlights the, 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 I guess, the breakdown in the system along the way that needs to be looked at a little bit closer as it pertains to gambling addiction. Right. Now, not everybody that has an addiction that, you know, steals money. Many people borrow money and they never pay it back. So it's not always criminal. But I thought the argument was a sound one. You know, again, the casino wouldn't be losing money. It just wouldn't be making money. And uh, how great would it have been had the casino said to this, you know, 75-year-old man who did nothing wrong, hey, listen, we recognize the money she used to gamble here came from her theft. We're at least going to give you a percentage of it back, if not all of it back. 
But, you know, they decided that they're not giving a nickel back. And, you know, we talk about the impact, right? So here's a, here's a guy now in his, what, mid-70s who can't retire? Right. The owner of a small business, right? Small business makes America run. And he can't retire because of something his employee did. And now he's suffering the most in all of this. I mean, yes, she went to prison, and I understand that. But he is now suffering. The, the, the hidden nature of gambling addiction never ceases to amaze me, Craig. It really doesn't. You know, we, we talk about it all the time, but it's just so magnified when this can go unchecked for so long. Not to mention, you know, if she was a bookkeeper, the trust that he had in her to let this go on for so long and however she did it, disguised it, hit it. She's very good at what she did, perhaps. I just think the trust he must have had in her and then to find all of that out, it's just it's just mind-blowing. Yeah. Talking to Dan Trelauer for a few more moments before we wrap it up here this morning. You know, one of the other things I want to get into today that, that bothers me that I hear a lot and I compare it to what it must have been like, you know, 30, 40 years ago when cigarette companies try to make smoking cigarettes look cool and hip, you know, the Marlboro Man and all that kind of stuff. And I'm hearing more and more ads today in which they're promising you free money. Like, hey, if anybody in this game tonight in the NBA makes a free throw, we're going to give you 100 to 1 on your dollar. You know, and I listen to it and it pains me to hear it because it's a joke. You know, it's a joke when you're promoting parlays or teasers. It's a joke when you're telling people, you know, you're guaranteed to win. But, of course, the small print is you don't get to take that money. It's not your money. You know, if you, if you bet a dollar and we're going to guarantee you 100 the reality is that we're going to give you 10 $10 bets. And then after that, if you have any money left over, you know, you're going to bet that money a third time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And to me, well, you know, People gamble on their own volition. No one twists your hand to do it. When the marketing now goes against the reality of how hard it is to win on a regular basis as a gambler, which is why there are very few legitimate professional gamblers that actually have any money in their bank accounts, I think it becomes very dangerous. And I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah, you know, the power of marketing the power of social proofing, seeing other people do something, and you want to do that because you don't want to miss out on an opportunity. You know, Craig, if a pitcher throws a strike in tonight's uh, baseball game, uh, you get $100. Well, you know, it's, like, it's those kinds of ads that a person's like, yes, that's, that's guaranteed money. This feels really good. And now I see all these marketing. And then once you sign up to you know, your smartphone, whatever apps you're using, whether you're you know, getting news feeds on your phone, now all of a sudden the marketing is just laser-focused on gambling, gambling. And, and marketing matters. You know, one of the benefits of, of self-exclusion in the state of New Jersey is not just that, that it blocks the person from accessing the legal gambling sites, but it also stops the marketing. And that, cannot, that is important because that could be what sends someone back to gambling when they see these, these beautiful guarantees that come with lots of restrictions, but you're not really focusing on that. You just know the $100 is yours. Well, listen, it's not going anywhere, and neither are we. So we will continue to do this show and uh, speak Absolutely. at events and speak to groups and just try to make people aware. And I do want to be clear, nothing at all against casino operators at all. 
I've always said I'm a proponent of legalized gambling. I'm not against it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. Just because I can't do it responsibly doesn't mean that you won't be able to do it responsibly. I do, however, have a sensitivity as a dad and as a guy that has lived through the best and the worst aspects of gambling that we at least got to keep, uh, as they would say, the pot straight. We got to represent yeah. gambling for what it is and uh, what it isn't. And I think as long as we do that and uh, the message is a responsible one, then uh, have at it. Regardless, yeah. we're out of time today. So we'll have to do this again next week. Next week we'll be joined by an expert in the field and possibly hear another story of someone who lost it all through uh, their compulsive gambling. Dan, always a pleasure. Thanks for chatting with us again this morning, pal. Thanks, Craig. Have a great week. Check out Dan and his group, 1-800-GAMBLER. It's the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey. And uh, thank you for letting us into your homes and cars and smartphones, etc. for the last 30 minutes. This is Hello, My Name is Craig on WFAN.